Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on scripture. Thank you for joining me. Glenn Campbell and Steve Warner had a country song in 1987 titled, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. Within that song was a quick line in the refrain. There ought to be a hall of fame for mamas, creation's most unique and precious pearl. There ought to be a hall of fame for mamas, It's a song about a mom's devotion to a child and how that mom helps cast a vision for the future for her baby boy. Later on in the song, it kind of wraps up with Glenn Campbell's portion of it singing, And by the time she wore the cover of her Bible Her hair was gray and her little man was gone I think the concept behind that song is true. Moms cast a vision for their children. So on this recording for Mother's Day, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all your moms out there and to all the women who played a significant role in a young person's life, whether you gave birth to that person or not. I have no doubt that many of the people listening here have influenced far more folks than they could possibly know, whether you gave birth to the child or just paid attention to a child. Indeed, moms have been celebrated for a long, long time. Television really put the spotlight on mothers. Think back to some of the all-time best TV moms. What kind of moms have we seen on television? Well, some were nurturing. There's Harriet Nelson from Ozzie and Harriet. Carolyn Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Claire Huxtable from The Cosby Show. And of course, Carol Brady from The Brady Bunch. They all come to mind. And all those women, the way that they portrayed motherhood, well, they were just nurturing, caring, always there with a kind word, always ready to lift up the children around them. Other moms on TV, well, let's just say they're a little rough around the edges. I think of Sophia on The Golden Girls. She was hilarious. She had no filter for what she was going to say. There was Marie Barone on Everybody Loves Raymond. Her quirk was that she was always in everybody's business. There's Claire Dunphy from Modern Family. Goofy stuff always happened to her, and sometimes she instigated it. 
Jessica Wang. She's from Fresh Off the Boat. She always tried to keep her family together, and she was often the voice of reason, but sometimes, well, sometimes she didn't make the best decisions herself. One of the best is Thelma Harper on Mama's Family. Remember Mama? She was crass. She was critical. She was a little rough around the edges. And of course, probably the worst TV mom that I can think of, not because she had a bad heart, but just that she didn't have the skills, was from Married with Children, Peg Bundy. Now, those two lists of moms on TV are just two of the extremes, one nurturing and one eh, not so much. But there have been some mothers who more accurately provide the vision of what women really go through on a daily life. Things are not super smooth, nor are they always a challenge. I think of three in particular. One was Roseanne Connor from the original Roseanne television show. It featured Roseanne Barr depicting a working class mom and all of the struggles that come with living from paycheck to paycheck. I see a lot of my own family in that television show. Not so much the goofy way they treated each other but the challenges that they faced. Another mom, Ellie Ewing on Dallas, completely the other end of the socioeconomic scale. But think about what Ellie had to deal with. Competing interests within a high maintenance family. They sure seemed to have all the money in the world, but that didn't matter. They still had problems. They still had family conflicts. They still faced tragedies. And then maybe perhaps the best depiction of what real motherhood looks like has been on TV for the past few years, but is about to be concluded. I'm talking about the character of Rebecca Pearson on This Is Us. Portrayed by Mandy Moore, this character provides perhaps the most realistic look at motherhood ever on television. She doesn't have quite the extremes all the time, although they do face certain tragedies. I mean, her husband dies in a fire or after a fire. But most of the things that she deals with are very real life situations. Challenges that their children faced in her older years, which we get to peek into in this television show, Rebecca is struggling with the onset of dementia. It's a very real problem for aging Americans, aging people, period. And it shows that on television. My wife is still lamenting that there's only about three episodes left of this favorite television show as I record this podcast. These views into motherhood, of course, pale in comparison to what happens inside our own homes. In particular, I'm thinking about all the sacrifices that women have to make to be a mom. Of course, Two moms have played a significant role in my life, my own mother and my wife. My mom died of what we suspect was COVID interacting with her Parkinson's disease on December 19, 2020. She was 77 years old. Until my aunt's birthday last year, my mom, Mary Alice Seifert, was the oldest living woman ever in her family history. And as I think back, my mom sacrificed a lot to be a mother. 
Think back for a moment about your own mother. Think back about what you saw, or if you are a mom, the things that you yourself have gone through. See if you recognize any of these sacrifices. One, sleep. I know when I was sick as a kid, my mom was always near me, checking on me, making sure I had what I needed, that I was as comfortable as possible. And I know my wife spent time sleeping on the floor next to our kids when they were real little and when they were sick. Later, I know my wife would stay awake from time to time when the kids were out on their dates until they were home safely. Second, food. My mom and later my wife, I've witnessed this from both of them, they were both the last to eat. Whenever they hosted the gatherings where food was involved, they were the last to go through the line to get their food. Undoubtedly, they would sit down and somebody else would need something and they were the ones to pop up to take care of that person. So I don't know if either one of them ever ate their food cold, but I can feel pretty confident in saying that neither one of them ate their food super hot like the rest of us got to. Third, quiet time. Once babies are born, that's the end of peace and quiet for moms. In fact, a quiet house, when you have small children, usually is a sign that there's something horribly wrong, right? Fourth, rest. My mom worked at Hallmark Cards in Leavenworth, Kansas for more than 30 years. And I don't remember her taking too many days off other than our annual vacations. She basically had perfect attendance almost every year that she worked there until her Parkinson's disease robbed her of her strength and mobility. And as for my wife, well, she's a full-time pastor in the United Methodist Church. So let's just say there's not a whole lot of rest for her. And finally, time. My mom spent all of her so-called free time supporting me at baseball fields all around the Kansas City area in the summertime. And my wife had it even more difficult. See, both of our children were blessed to play their sports in college. Our daughter played basketball and our son pitched on a baseball team. And so when they were growing up, they both played club ball. It was not unusual at all for our family to have one parent and one kid going one direction and the other parent and other kid going a different direction. So my wife spent a lot of time in basketball gyms reading on our daughter and a lot of times out in the sun at baseball fields cheering on our son. Now, don't get me wrong, I know dads make sacrifices too, but I've grown convinced over the course of my nearly 50 years on this earth that moms have it way more difficult than dads. After all, if we dads were honest with ourselves, we are often the kid that our wives never gave birth to. <laughs> well, the scripture lesson for this episode is about a brave mom who made amazing sacrifices for her child. It comes from the Old Testament, or First Covenant, and shows how a mom had a vision for how she could save her child at a great price to herself. But first, we need just a little bit of background. people we now know as Jews at this point in history are known as Hebrews, and the descendants of one very important Hebrew, Jacob, had settled in the land of Goshen in Egypt. 
you might remember the entire story. The sons of Jacob sell their youngest brother, Joseph, into slavery out of jealousy. Years later, there's a famine, and the brothers are sent to Egypt to attempt to buy food. There, they encounter Joseph, whom God has given the ability to interpret dreams. Joseph is Pharaoh's right-hand man because he literally saved the Egyptian people and others around the region by setting up a system of stocking up grain in years of plenty so that they could withstand years of drought. Jacob's family moves to be with Joseph, and over the course of many years, more than 400 to be exact, they grow to thousands upon thousands of people. And the generations of pharaohs that followed, well, they no longer recall how Joseph, a Hebrew, saved them. Their only concern is that this group of people could now overtake Egypt, something that they never had even hinted that they wanted to do. Yet the Egyptians were concerned, and so they decided to enslave the Hebrews. Eventually, the pharaoh at the time takes it even a step further and orders that any boys born to Hebrew women are to be killed. And that is where our story picks up in Scripture as we read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. We learn later in Exodus chapter 6 that the mother of Moses is named Jochebed. She's the mother of Moses, Aaron, and a girl named Miriam. And she's a mother who has a very serious problem. Her youngest son, was born at a time when male children were supposed to be killed. So how could she protect him? Well, to do so, she knew she was going to have to make a rather dramatic sacrifice. The sacrifice of not being able to see him grow up and not being there all the time as he matured. Now, the scripture we just read tells us that she had him for about three months and then apparently couldn't hide him any longer. So she fixes up a basket and makes it watertight. And then I think she does something incredibly smart. She strategically places him in the water so that he would be found by someone in the royal court, by an Egyptian. Keep in mind, she wouldn't have just put him in the river and let him float to see what happened. 
because if he was found by another Hebrew woman, he likely would have been killed under the edict of the Pharaoh. So he had to be found by an Egyptian and adopted by that Egyptian. I think Jochebed made an educated guess here, a really, really smart one. Even so, Jochebed sends the older sister to watch over him as he floats down the river in the basket. I think to make sure that he doesn't sink, and also if it becomes capsized, the sister can swoop in and, and save him, and they'll try something different. But that doesn't happen. Indeed, it looks like the plan worked as it was set out. Pharaoh's own daughter finds the basket. I don't think you can get much better than that. And perhaps rehearsed, the sister, Miriam, comes out from among the reeds along the river and offers to help find a nursemaid so that the child could be fed. Of course, Miriam goes to get her mother, the mother of the baby, and so mom and son are reunited, although probably only for a little while. Now, Scripture tells us that when the child grew up, that he was brought to the Pharaoh's daughter and then she took him as her son. But I'm not quite sure that's exactly what happened. We don't really know. It's a very real possibility, based on the commentaries that I've read, that really the mom only kept the child until he was weaned. Now, we don't know was he kept in the palace and the mom moved into the palace for that duration of time, or did the baby go back to live at what was his real home until he was weaned? Either way, at some point, the child is given up. And it's very probable that Jochebed no longer had any kind of visitation privileges. After all, we don't know that she was the mom. Well, we know, but the Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know. And so her son is alive, but Jochebed no longer gets to see him, no longer gets to be part of his life. That's one sacrifice that she made so that her son could live. But you know what? There's one other sacrifice that often gets overlooked in this story, one that is almost fundamental to motherhood. Remember what the scripture tells us, that Pharaoh's daughter gave the baby a name, Moses. It means to draw out of water. In other words, the Pharaoh's daughter changed his name. Jochebed, for three months, likely did not just call the child baby. I'm sure she gave him some other name. So when the Pharaoh's daughter decides to rename him Moses, in essence, she is wiping away the identity that Jochebed had given this child. It's a second huge sacrifice made by a mom who just wanted her child to have a chance to live. And that's what moms do, don't they? Moms give up a lot for their children. The Bible's actually full of examples. One that immediately comes to mind is Hannah, who is barren. She promises God that if God will give her a son, that she will dedicate that child to service. And indeed, that's what happens. Hannah gives birth to Samuel, and he is immediately given in service to the priests. So Eli basically raises Samuel instead of Hannah and her family. And then, of course, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think about the sacrifices she made as a young mother, immediately then sent into exile into Egypt because her son also was threatened by being killed. And then she's there years later 
when her son hangs on the cross. What tremendous sacrifices she made. Now, those are just two examples. Some of us have examples of our moms making tremendous sacrifices for us. And some of us have many, many fond memories of our mothers. I have great memories of playing with my mom when I was a little kid, of going bowling with her when I was a little older, of her rooting us on when we played baseball when I was a teenager. I have a lot of great memories of my mom. And some may only have a few great memories. And some, frankly, may have only poor memories of their mom. I pray that there are very few of us with that perspective, but I do know that they're out there. Not every child has a great remembrance of his or her mother. Bad relationships, could be circumstances that just didn't work out right, socioeconomic challenges, drug use, alcoholism. Uh, there are a lot of different things that can lead to bad relationships. And I really offer a prayer today for those of you who had to endure that kind of childhood, that you didn't have the kind of bond with your mother maybe that you would hope for, or that many other people get. In many cases, I think mothers sacrifice a lot for their children. I know that's been my experience and the privilege that I've had to witness with my own mom and with seeing my wife in action. So as we celebrate Mother's Day, I ask that we remember the sacrifices that have been made and that will continue to be made in our lives by the women. The women who are our moms or the women who just played that role. We give thanks to the vision that they helped us capture in our lives for helping us to see who we are, who we could be, the potential that we have. And like Jacobed, I know that many moms have done whatever it takes to help keep their children safe and to encourage them in their lives. So one more time, I encourage you to honor mothers. And let's celebrate women for all that they do. Amen. And speaking of women and my wife, this is part of a series that I'm doing on the songs of our faith. And today I used words like seeing and vision quite a bit because the song that we're featuring in worship is Be Thou My Vision. For all of the songs that we're singing and spotlighting during the month of May, my wife provided the background music when she played that particular song. So not all of the music in the episode, but whenever you heard Be Thou My Vision, that was my wife showing off her talent for me on the piano. So thank you to Reverend Amy Seifert for her assistance. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org 
and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.